shop. There's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> And welcoming open mic, where comedians can get substantial mic time for the mere price of a spot of tea and crumpets. Comedians who remain after their initial sets are invited to perform feats of improvisation and ingenuity in the famous lightning round games, which are guaranteed to delight and entertain. Ah, thinking of these bright young comedians with so much potential and so many drug problems makes me as giddy as a schoolgirl. I haven't had so much fun and giggles since my non-trinary youth at Bumble's Warding School in East Brackenshire, where I danced with Hugh Grant, helped Jason Statham steal an antique shotgun and took nude photos of Prince Harry, who I must mention was not named appropriately. Sign up in person for your own comedic adventures at 7.30pm or pre-sign with the host by sending a direct message via social media. If you can't make it out to that den of iniquity known as mutinyradio.fm, listen in live from home or download the podcast on Apple iTunes under Friends of Mutiny. A smashing time will be had by all. Until next Saturday night at 8pm, cheerio
stage. You might have drugs in your command or women in a cage. You might be a businessman or a high degree thief. This is the B. Good morning to you. Saturday morning, 10 to 12, we come and visit you. You come and visit us. Labor and Love Radio. By, for, and about working people. Labor news, labor commentary, labor, labor opinion, labor history. You got it. our first set there 
<clears throat> we started out with, uh, well, the last one was you got to serve somebody, Betty Croft. Crawford and the, uh, what do I want to say? Potter's House Mass Choir with more of a, an ecclesiastical uh, interpretation of that song. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. It might be capital, might be labor, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Before that, the city of New Orleans by the Highwaymen. I just love that. It's a live recording from the 90s. And the city of New Orleans is uh, back underwater again. Uh, hearts go out to those people who have suffered a lot. Jimi Hendrix started us off with his interpretation of the national anthem from... Woodstock, um, Hendrix uh, was an army vet, evidently uh, thought the Vietnam War was necessary, but still as an artist packed all kinds of violence, military violence into that rendition, justly praised rendition. Well, I'm the B, and this is the Labor and Love Show, and this is where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. And you can tell where the, where the money is, okay? Those are the people who have profited off your labor and off the labor of working people around the world. Just look and see where the money is. If you don't have a seat at the table, at the negotiating table, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor and when I say labor, I mean you. This is Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Good morning, everybody. What have we got today? Well, we've got the uh, Charleston Five. Anyone heard of them? Hanging of black soldiers in Houston when they revolted against segregation and Jim Crow conditions. A pogrom right now going on against our immigrant people. Pogrom is the ancient practice of going after one community and in many cases the Jews in your community every once in a while a leader might be faced with growing pressures, he'd uh, go and kill the Jews. Now, there's another pogrom going on now against our immigrant people. No, maybe they're not being killed outright, but immigrant people are definitely dying and it's, un and it's not necessary. Children are dying. 
Our president, Mr. Trump, has bragged that this weekend, 2,000 more people will be kicked out of the United States. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't this the country that welcomes immigrant workers? That's what they are. They're not immigrants. They're workers. They're coming here to work. Mr. Trump, however, has turned it into one of his base programs, kind of a symbolic way with his wall to divide workers. That's what it's about, okay? Make no mistake. <laughs> a rich Mexican or a rich Salvadoreño or a rich Hondureño will have no trouble getting into this country. They have sponsors, they have money, they pay people off, they know how to get in. The whole Epstein case is a, is a demonstration of how the rich take and keep power. They pay for it. They bribe people. They pay people off. They pay off people to get their kids into the university they want. Money brings that kind of power. Okay, I uh, had an article in Politico about labor anger and the divisions between the green and the blue, the environmental movement and the labor movement. And so we're going to read that article, and we're also going to read one that's saying, no, that's a phony division. It doesn't really exist. Who is Elizabeth Jennings? What do we spend more on in the U.S.? Subsidies to fossil fuel companies or our defense budget? Hmm? That's an interesting one. As usual, we'll have radio labor. But... Uh, Let's start about Border Patrol Chief Carla Provost. Now, Border Chief Carla Provost is a member of a group at the border, okay? And remember, again, these are working people trying to come into the U.S. to work. And it's from The Intercept. When news broke that thousands of current and former Border Patrol agents were members of a secret face group filled with racist, vulgar, and sexual, sexist content. Carla Provost, chief of the agency, was quick to respond. These posts are completely inappropriate and contrary to the honor and integrity I see and expect from our agents day in and day out, Provost said in a statement. Any employees found to have violated our standards of conduct will be held accountable. Provost is a Border Patrol veteran who was named head of the agency in August 2018. Three months after her appointment as chief, Provost herself had posted in the group, then known as I'm 1015, 
now archived as America First X2. Provost's content was innocuous, a friendly clapback against a group member who questioned her rise to the tip, top of the Border Patrol. But her participation in the group, which she has left, raises serious questions. Well, I'll say it does, huh? Definitely raises questions about her integrity. Who's she there to help? Who's she there to hinder? The whole point of at the border, the whole uh, fasaria at the border is incredible. Never would have believed the United States, much as the United States has done, would purposely have a policy to keep people away by taking away their children, by warning them that they can lose their children. Simply amazing. Okay, what else have we got on the labor beat today? Uh, radio labor... Let's see. How about uh, Facebook? Labor and Love Radio. Now, the way the labor beat works is during the week I go through emails and find stories that relate to labor, the labor movement, and to working people. Okay, I wanted to talk about the Charleston Five. This is a bit of labor history a lot of people don't know about. Um, these guys were workers in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. July 6th in the year, well, let's check it out. Five thousand demonstrators rallied at a state capitol in Columbia, South Carolina, in support of the Charleston Five labor activists. Five were longshoremen and union members of Local 1422 of the International Longshoremen's Association. They were peacefully protesting a Danish freight company's use of non-union workers on the Charleston docks when a fight broke out between picketing workers and the police force. The Charleston Five were arrested along with four others and were held on felony charges which could have carried a prison sentence of up to 10 years. They were finally freed of all charges in November 2001 after a one-year trial throughout which they were kept in house arrest. Charleston Five. 
But you never heard of them, huh? I hadn't either. A century later, little-known mass hanging of black soldiers. Houston, Texas. Um, let's see if we can get this. This is uh, after Hurricane Harvey devastated Houston in September and cleanup workers discovered that vandals had smeared red paint over a historical marker at the one-time location of Camp Logan, recently rededicated to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Houston riot, in quotes, of 1917. Paint covered the segment of the inscription that explained the history of the 3rd Battalion of the 24th United States Infantry, a predominantly black unit assigned to guard the camp during its construction after the United States entered World War I. Beneath the paint, the words read, The Black Soldiers, August 23, 1917, Armed Revolt, in response to Houston's Jim Crow laws and police harassment resulted in the camp's most publicized incident, the Houston Mutiny and Riot of 1917, which grew out of confrontation between the soldiers and the Houston City Police, at the end of which 16 white people were dead, including five policemen, while four soldiers were also killed. It was one of the only riots in U.S. history in which more white people died than blacks. At the resulting th three courts martial, the first of which was the largest in U.S. military history, a total of 118 enlisted black soldiers were indicted, with 110 found guilty. Nineteen were executed by hanging, and 53 received life sentences. <clears throat> they sent those soldiers into the most hostile environment imaginable, Charles Anderson, a relative of Sergeant William Nesbitt, one of the hanged soldiers. There was Jim Crow law, racist coughs, racist civilians, laws against them being treated fairly in the streetcars, while the workers' building, Logan Camp, hated the soldiers' presence. Mr. McConnell iterated recently that uh, slavery was over 150 years ago. Not even. Not even. are still haunted. All right. Let's play some music. Uh, today we're on the internet songs. How about one from Tennessee? 
This is very special to have you here with me. And we're going to do one more for you. And then I may get some of these guests out here to rock a little bit with me.
legendary mind Harvard humor, even help enlighten
That's set. That was Nina Simone, of course, with her uh, I Shall Be Released from an album that was very uh, influential at the time. Uh, Nina Simone on an album called To Love Somebody recorded a bunch of songs by quote-unquote hippie writers, white writers, Bob Dylan among them. That one, I Shall Be Released, and uh, a very stirring rendition of uh, The Times They Are A-Changin'. Maybe if we can find that, uh, we can play it. Before that, we had Capital Air, poet Allen Ginsberg's part of his singing career. He became a rock singer. And there he's letting us know uh, the things he doesn't like as an anarchist gay man, gay poet, uh, capital A, the things that big government does to people. And before that, we had the Tennessee Waltz by... by um, Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt and Nora Jones, the daughter of uh, of uh, Ravi Shankar. So, question is, let's see if we can see why today in labor history. So why did why did the UAW lose in uh, Tennessee? Okay, what happened? The uh, for a little background, the UAW has been trying for years to organize um, factory in Tennessee labor news it's a labor notes why the UAW lost again in Chattanooga and it was close right it's always close it was a bad sign this is under labor notes on the day voting began at the Volkswagen plant in Chattanooga the shift change suddenly turned blue. Throngs of workers were passing through the factory turnstiles in both directions as the day shift ended and the night shift began. On the preceding days, handfuls of union supporters in bright green shirts were there to hand out flyers and banter with their co-workers. But on Wednesday, instead of bustling union activists, a sea of workers passed quietly through the turnstiles wearing the blue anti-union one-team I am Volkswagen shirts. 
provided by the company. Only a few workers were wearing the UAW shirts. Union supporters were visibly outnumbered by as much as 20 to 1. The scene was a warning of what to come. The union lost in another heartbreakingly close vote, 776 to 833 no votes. 93% of eligible workers cast ballots. What went wrong? Most obviously, the 1,700 hourly production workers voting were subject to brutal employer campaign, quite unlike VW's studied neutral posture in the 2014 drive, which the union also lost narrowly. This time, although Volkswagen continued to claim neutrality, supervisors inside the plant were hell-bent on scaring and cajoling workers into voting no. State politicians threatened to withdraw support for state incentives tied to an upcoming plant expansion and production of new electric vehicles. So the politicians of Tennessee do not want their workers to get a living wage or a better wage or better treatment. They are colluding with the company to defeat the workers. The union did not organize a high participation in plant campaign capable of withstanding a strong boss fight. While the union spent tens of thousands of dollars on radio and television ads, it also had no substantive campaign to bring community pressure on the company. Or did it attempt to organize and leverage the much smaller number of workers at Volkswagen's nearby parts suppliers, where a well-placed job action could bring the whole VW plant to a halt. Okay, there's a challenge. Played the Tennessee Waltz. Okay, here's an article also on Labor Notes. And we had presented see, we had presented an article that was talking about anger among workers. who were against the idea of uh, rushing into an environmental campaign without any guarantee of what it would mean for them. And again, we talked about workers, our work, which is destroying the earth. Okay, so workers are going to have to find a way to earn their living without destroying the earth. And uh, union union members ask, you know, with uh, some degree of integrity, 
I'm making 70 bucks an hour sometime. Am I going to be able to do that? How, how are we going to put the two movements together is what it is. That's what, what it comes down to. Blue-collar workers, let's all support the Green New Deal. A recent article in Politico, which is called Labor Anger Over Green New Deal, greets 2020 contenders in California alleged that blue-collar workers in California reject the Green New Deal. Well, this guy Steve Morse writes, I am a blue-collar worker, a retired member of Sheet Metal Workers Local 104, which represents workers throughout Northern and Central California. The union leaders quoted in that article certainly didn't speak for me nor for the tens of thousands of other building trades workers. I live on a fairly decent union pension and social security. I don't have any worry about being retrained, but I am quite aware that my pension depends on contributions from working members of my union. I'm also concerned about my family's well-being and the general welfare of humans on our planet. I see no contradiction among these concerns. We have growth of well-paying union jobs and a green economy. We can. And my grandson can thrive in a just and sustainable situation. The Green New Deal is a strategy to achieve both objectives. If you haven't read the text of the Green New Deal, please do. It's not long. This is a congressional resolution, not legislation. It defines a framework and establishes values and objectives for legislation that is yet to be written. Sections 4G through K address many of labor's issues. High-quality union jobs that pay prevailing wages. Vocational training, wage and benefit parity for workers affected by the transition. Family-sustaining wages, retirement security, the right of all workers to organize, workplace health and safety, anti-discrimination, and more. These provisions are intended to ensure that the transition to a sustainable energy system is just and that working people and frontline communities do not bear a disproportionate share of the social cost. The political article should have reported about the Zero Net Energy Center, the union office and training center built by electrical workers, IBEW, Local 595 in the East Bay. There's a building trades local leading the way. To win the Green New Deal, it's going to take a broad, diverse political alliance. Workers need a strong voice in this alliance, and by being part of it, we can speak up on our concerns. 
Some in the climate movement surely are little aware of the short and long periods of unemployment we have faced. Okay, read the article. It's a good article and it sets us up to think about both movements together because they really are down deep, one in the same movement. All right. Radio Labor coming up. This is our worldwide labor show. Um, and it's put out by Radio Labor every week. Kind of a world. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor Global Report recorded on Friday, July 12th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, UK unions support a second referendum on Brexit. The campaign to get the ILO's member states to support public services in the future of work. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. It's fun to be in love. This is Radio Labour. In the United Kingdom, unions have come out unequivocally against a no-deal Brexit, which would see the country leave the European Union without a negotiated agreement. The UK is scheduled to leave the EU on October 31st, 2019. The most powerful unions in the country, including Unite, GMB and Unison, announced on Monday, July 8th that they will push for a second Brexit referendum and campaign to remain in the EU in order to stop a no-deal exit. If, however, the opposition Labour Party wins an election before the end of October, the unions agree that the party could negotiate a new deal and put that to the people with the option to remain in the EU. At a recent national conference, Unison General Secretary Dave Prentice said that for his union's members, no deal is a bad deal. The union is concerned about what will happen to public services after a Brexit and especially worried about what will happen to its members who are EU citizens working in the UK. At the Unison Conference, the Labour Party's Shadow Minister Secretary of State for exiting the EU, Keir Starmer, was asked why public services and the National Health Service need to be protected from a no-deal Brexit. If there's a no-deal Brexit, it's going to impact really heavily on the NHS and public services in so many ways. Um, vital provisions, medicines, etc. won't be there. We need people to work in those services. It'd be so disruptive that we shouldn't countenance it. And that's why um, the Labour Party with the trade union movement has said we'll do everything to stop a no-deal Brexit. And we've said that now for two years. It's particularly acute now we've got a Tory leadership race um, going on and the positions are more and more extreme. But we have to do everything we can to protect working people, people who use the NHS and other services so vitally. So we will vote against no deal Brexit um, and that's why we've said consistently now uh, that whatever the outcome it's got to go back to the public for consent. You cannot allow this to happen without that lock. Mr. Starmer was also asked why worker rights and equality rights are at risk with Brexit. 
One of the things that um, we've worked with our EU partners on for many years is the protection of workplace rights, environmental rights, consumer rights. And that's why trade unions such as Unison have been so strong on this issue, because they know that that's a floor of rights that their members have, working people have, that are at risk with Brexit, particularly at risk with a no-deal Brexit, and of course always at risk with a Tory government. So we've always said you must keep those rights. They've got to not only be put in place now, but they've got to keep pace with what happens uh, in the EU. And it's another reason why we've said that at this stage, with the Article 50 exercise almost over, um, whatever deal now is presented to Parliament, or even no deal, it's got to go back to the public so the public can say that that's good enough for them, or if not, uh, that they want to remain. The International Labour Organization has adopted a centenary declaration on the future of work. Seamary Ainsborough reports. Unions around the world are organizing to implement the centenary declaration of the future of work adopted by the International Labour Organization. The ILO is the United Nations agency focused on matters of work in the world. It celebrated its 100th anniversary during a two-week conference in June 2019. It did so by reaffirming its mission for social justice and outlining its goals for work in the future. The last ILO declaration was the Declaration of Philadelphia, adopted after the Second World War, which said that labor is not a commodity to be used as just a product in the marketplace. One of the unions which was instrumental in the adoption of the ILO's centenary declaration was Public Services International. The PSI represents some 20 million workers in 150 countries. Sandra Masaya is the PSI's sub-regional secretary for the Caribbean. She was asked about the work which went into the passage of the declaration at the ILO conference. Over the two weeks, I worked with our various partners, that is our global union federations and our affiliates during the International Labour Conference. We were particularly concerned with the outcome document from the conference, the Centenary Declaration. Our intent was to ensure that we reinvigorated, we renewed what we call the social contract. We also particularly wanted to ensure that there was a clear statement about the value of public services and the value of those workers who deliver those public services. In our own discussions within PSI, we've recognized that public services are not always valued by not only the employers, but sometimes our very own citizens take them for granted. So we have to ensure that in a declaration that will mark the way in which we see the work of the ILO and the future of work, that we reinvigorate in people's lives the importance of public services. We also wanted to highlight that the future of work was not only linked to digitalization or artificial intelligence. We also wanted to be, make sure that when the discussions of the reform of the United Nations get started, that we recognize that the value and the work done through public services, the regulatory role of government, and the work done by the ILO in addressing norms and standards are taken very much into consideration. It was tough going for those two weeks. We spent many nights trying to ensure that the right wording went into the declaration, trying to convince the employers that we have to use social dialogue, and that even now with new forms of work, new patterns of work, social dialogue is even more important than ever before. 
Quite frankly, we were mapping the way in which the world sees the ILO, ensuring that workers are treated fairly, that they are able to exercise their right to freedom of association, that we continue to recognize the value of the 1944 Declaration of Philadelphia and also map a future, not only for those who are currently working, but also for those young people who are finding jobs, looking for jobs, and developing their skills and talents in order to make great contributions to their various societies. Having adopted the Centenary Declaration, we in PSI recognize that we have a lot of work to do, not only in terms of living up to the various mandates that we have within our own work and in our own sectorial priorities, but also we have to be educating our own memberships more about the role and value of the ILO. In fact, it means that we would need to sit down with a number of our affiliates in mapping out various tools that we would need to develop in order to help them recognize why we need an ILO, we need an ILO for the next 100 years or more, that we have to ensure that multilateralism is still the order of the day. The United Nations is a key organization for us. We must not allow private sector, corporate power to take over the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we conduct our various businesses. We have to make sure that people continue to be before profit. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages that were added to our site each day last week. Our top story section included links to coverage of the strike by 17,000 Walmart workers in Chile as they battle automation in the workplace, the remarkable abuse suffered by Russian Nestle food workers, and mass protests demanding that the police release an Indonesian union leader. Women toilet attendants in the Paris metro system were off work for a day to demand a safer workplace. Auxiliary police in the Central African Republic down truncheons over the lack of respect with which they are treated, despite providing much of the capital city's routine policing services. This week, food processing workers in Costa Rica went on strike over a variety of complaints for the first time in the 123-year-long history of their union. The strike by the women who work as cabin crew for a Taiwanese airline finally ended after a huge rally by them and their allies at the presidential palace demanding government intervention. The result is a new collective agreement that can only be described as a significant victory for the union. The workers had maintained an occupation of their employer's headquarters throughout the strike, despite the best efforts of the police and company security. A French airport was shut down when air traffic controllers redirected traffic to other airports and then walked out. Unions in a town in the Dominican Republic held a one-day political strike to protest official corruption. And domestic gas workers in Uruguay hit the four-week mark in their strike for wages and job security. Our Working Women pages, now available in eight languages, included stories about how indigenous women and their trade union transformed professional wrestling in Bolivia, an amazing guerrilla campaign by Spanish hotel room attendants against abusive customers and uncaring employers, 
the first of many workshops for women activists on how to organize in support of militant negotiation strategies in Africa, and why Mexico's labor law reform is expected to generate many more women union leaders when only 8% of elected positions are currently held by women. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the launch of a campaign meant to counter workplace harassment by expatriate managers in Bermuda, the discovery that Belgian police officials have been drinking toxic water for years, possibly decades, and how French firefighter unions are addressing attacks on their members when they respond to a call. Currently, Labor Start is running five online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Lynn Marie Smith with UNION.
And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts on our website at www.radiolabor.net. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
if you want higher wages, let me tell you what to do. You got to talk to the workers in the shop with you. You got to build you a union, got to make it strong. But if you all stick together, boys, it won't be long. You get shorter hours, better working conditions, vacations with pay, take your kids to the seashore. It ain't quite this simple, so I better explain just why you got to ride on the union train. Cause if you wait for the boss to raise your pay, we'll all be awaiting till judgment day. We'll all be buried, gone to heaven. St. Peter will be the straw boss then. Now you know you're underpaid, but the boss says you ain't. He speeds up the work till you're about to faint. You may be down and out, but you ain't beaten. You can pass out a leaflet and call a meeting. Talk it over. Speak your mind, decide to do something about it. Cause the boss may persuade some poor damn fool to go to your meeting and act like a stool, but you can always tell a stool, oh, that's a fact. He's got a yaller streak running down his back. He doesn't have to stool. He'll always get along on what he takes out of blind men's cups. You got a union now and you're sitting pretty Put some of the boys on the steering committee The boss won't listen when one guy squawks Cause he's got to listen when the union talks He'd better be mighty lonely Everybody decide to walk out on him Suppose they're working you so hard it's just outrageous And they're paying you all starvation wages You go to the boss and the boss would yell Before I raise your pay I'd see you all in hell Well he's puffing a big cigar feeling mighty slick Cause he thinks he's got your union lick Well he looks out the window and what does he see But a thousand pickets and they all agree he's a bastard Unfair Slave driver Betty beats his wife Now, boys, you come to the hardest time. The boss will try to bust your picket line. He'll call out the police, the National Guard. They'll tell you it's a crime to have a union card. They'll raid your meeting. They'll hit you on the head. They'll call every one of you a damn red unpatriotic. Japanese spies. Sabotaging national defense. But out at Ford, here's what they found, and out at Vultee, here's what they found, and out at Alice Chalmers, here's what they found, and down at Bethlehem, here's what they found, that if you don't let red baiting break you up, and if you don't let stool pigeons break you up, and if you don't let vigilantes break you up, and if you don't let race hatred break you up, you'll win. What I mean, take it easy, but take it. Now, if you want... That was Pete Seeger. And I want to talk about our... our... Um, Secretary of Labor, our former Secretary of Labor, Alex Acosta. And... Um, This is alternate, okay, the little background. <clears throat> There's a man named Jeffrey Epstein who's a billionaire, multimillionaire, hundreds of millions of dollars of wealth, who is also known as um, a pedophile. He likes to have sex with young girls. 
Okay, and he was arrested for this. He's been arrested and accused many times. His victims have come out and talked on him. So he was tried in 2008 in Florida. And the lead uh, prosecutor at that time was Alex Acosta, who became, later became Trump's labor secretary. It was on alternate. Um, when it was found out that this guy, Jeffrey Epstein, was given a sweetheart deal, 13 months in prison, but for six days a week, a limo came and picked him up so he could go do his work. Some prison, huh? <laughs> um, Alex Acosta now. Acosta was res has resigned. People have brought that to the fore, the sweetheart deal <clears throat> he made for Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein, by the way, is a, was a good friend of Mr. Trump and uh, Bill Clinton as well. On Friday, Secretary of Labor Alexander Acosta resigned in disgrace amid a firestorm about his role in cutting a light deal for high-powered wealth manager and accused child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein when Acosta was a federal prosecutor in Florida. Prior to resigning, Acosta gave a press conference in which he falsely tried to shift the blame for that decision onto state attorneys. But according to a new in-depth analysis by the Washington Post, there are plenty of real reasons why, back in 2008, Acosta was unwilling to prosecute what FBI agents thought was a slam-dunk case. To begin with, noted the Post, <clears throat> Post author Conchita Sarnoff, who documented the Epstein case in trafficking, said that Epstein told her a few years after Epstein's dream team of prominent defense lawyers persuaded him to sign a non-prosecution deal ending the federal pursuit, that he felt incapable of going up against these eight powerful attorneys. He felt his career was at stake. A seemingly simple quest to stop a man who had taken advantage of dozens of young women ran up against three hard facts. Epstein had a knack for winning people over. He had enough money and power to buy the very best legal firepower. And a decade before the Me Too movement, it was still fairly easy to cast abuse that was short of rape as mere misbehavior rather than a shattering, serious crime. Acosta and his office were well aware that Epstein's legal team was lying. The girls he was recruiting were in fact underage, and just what was taking place at his parties was something a lot worse than massages. They just feel that, feared going after him in court and against his army of legal operators. The plea agreement ultimately sent Epstein to jail for 13 months for soliciting prosecution with a generous work release arrangement 
that let him leave custody for hours on end during weekdays. It also registered him as a low-level sex offender and required him to pay restitution to the victims. In South Florida in 2008, although 9 out of 10 cases were settled through plea bargain, the media sentence was 10 years for sexual abuse. A new federal case against Epstein could send him to prison for life. So Alex Acosta, who became Secretary of Labor, is now out as Secretary of Labor. We'll see which corporate gun Trump puts in to head the labor, the Department of Labor, which is supposed to look out for the the interests of working people. We figure that uh, in the United States, 250 workers per day died from from work-related causes, and uh, worldwide, five to six thousand workers per day die of those reasons. So somebody is not taking care of working people and their interests. Okay, two points to make now. This one is queer liberation is a labor issue, and then we're going to read abortion rights are a labor issue. This is an interview with Miriam Frank. And uh, Miriam Frank is author of Out of the Union, A Labor History of Queer America. Throughout the last few months, activists across the United States have called for kicking cops and corporations out of June's annual Pride Marches. This is the latest chapter in a long struggle to raise issues of working class, clear pe- queer people. We talked about how um, LGBTQ people helped during the Great Strike in England in 1984, actually came out and walked the picket line and raised money and raised community awareness about the plight of coal workers. Um, so Miriam Frank uh, wrote this book out of the union unions are some of the most powerful vehicles in the fight against workplace discrimination and harassment where the labor meets the road okay unions need to protect workers against discrimination and harassment stand as some of the earliest supporters of domestic partnership and later marriage equality. Queer workers have played important roles within unions, valiantly fighting against both anti-queer sentiments within unions and union busting from bosses in queer majority workplaces. Okay, so why is Why are queer rights a labor issue? Because at the workplace, 
is where the labor meets the road. When you're off work, you can relate to the people you want, by and large. But when you're at work and you face discrimination and prejudice and unfair treatment, the union is the one that needs to help with those issues. Okay, so queer liberation is a union issue and abortion is a union issue. This is Splinter, subtitled in Splinter, The Truth Hurts. Future of labor, what's next? So this woman is writing, her name is Caitlin Cruz. I spent a long time thinking about the future of my uterus. Well, all uteruses, really. I'm ambivalent about ever carrying a pregnancy to term, so I'm not describing the typical malaise that invades the mind of those who consider expanding their families. I have been thinking about the labor it takes to provide safe abortions. Providing abortion and reproductive care deserves the same protection and respect as other aspects of health care. And these practitioners deserve our support. We rightly spend a lot of time going to bat for patients, for the idea that abortion is an acceptable choice for our bodily autonomy. But when we talk about supporting the right to choose, we have to remember the people who help make that happen. Providing abortions is a skilled job. 42 states require a licensed physician to perform at least some abortions. And the people who do it are doing a job that makes it possible for the rest of us to live the life we want. Nearly one in four women will have an abortion by age 45. The initial way to support abortion providers is to support mandatory abortion training in medical schools. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists found that abortion training is not a universal experience at all medical and gynecological, gynecological schools. At any rate, that's a fine, uh, a fine article. Check it out in Splinter, and the uh, title is Abortion is a Labor Issue. Who's going to provide those abortions? Who's going to be experienced and competent to do this very important operation, and not just the operation, the leading up to it and the leading after it. All right, let's get some music. Bob Dylan. Where my shoes they come from singing for. 
Okay, sorry for the silence. Langston Hughes, let America be America again. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain, seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great, strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. Never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath. But opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stairs? I am the poor white fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing the slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I'm the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's greed. I'm the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker, sold to the machine. I am the Negro so servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean, hungry yet today, despite the dream. Beaten yet today, oh, pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream. In the old world, while still a serf of kings, they dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings in every brick and stone, in every furrow turned that's made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee. And torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland for the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me, surely not me. The millions on relief today, the millions shot down while we strike. 
millions who have nothing for our pay, for all the dreams we've dreamed and all the songs we've sung and all the hopes we've held and all the flags we've hung. The millions who have nothing for our pay except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again. A land that never has yet and yet must be. The land where every man is free. A land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America. Whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. For those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again from them. America, oh yes. I say it plain, America never was America for me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we the people must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains and the endless plain, all the stretch of these great green states and make America again. Amen by Langston Hughes. Well, it's time for us to sign off a labor show. Um, I want to go out with Willie Dixon. I want to say hello and goodbye to uh, Vita, Solina, Sylvia, Brother Earl up in Sacramento. Couldn't quite make it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Looking for Willie Dixon here. And Willie is all the way down to the W's. Can't make peace. Remember. If one person gets a dollar they didn't get, someone else worked for a If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, you're on the menu. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. The various nations of the earth. Okay. Hope to chat with you next week. The various week. religions of the earth. And bring the you the The various nationalities, the various people all over the world.
have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything we want to do have created miracles but it don't make sense when we can't make peace you know you made everything else wise men great men from every nation in the world all the countries in the world have all kinds of conventions and festivals spend all the money supposed are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> My friends out at Mutiny Radio, Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Mufi's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off, for <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage in the Mountain Ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby.
blind That may be true, yeah, but I don't mind Cause I like it not necessary just tell him what you need well that that that's the provision he made why you around complaining why you around talking why you around suffering why you around talking about he had an answer doesn't seem like he's going to answer you wonder what's wrong if it's you if it Yeah. 
Listening to black black plastic and my favorite drug is carbs. I consider it a drug. Oh, the 